This is the Circle City News with Madison. And Mark, and I would like to take a quick shout out to our sponsor, Law Office of Mark Nicholson. He fights against the travesty of justice and he has made this podcast possible today. Indiana. Welcome back to Circle City News. You are here with Nevea, Ali, and Madison. So nice to be here. Today is Saturday, January 29th. It's 11 a.m. and uh, it's a little chilly out there today. How are you guys feeling, our local Indiana natives? How are we doing out there? Uh, not digging the snow, not digging it at all, because Indiana drivers see a little of that precipitation and just lose their shit. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm all about snow. It's beautiful. But uh, stay off the roads if you want to avoid irritation, conflict, or an inconvenience of any kind. Just- yeah, no, I've heard it's pretty bad right now. I'm actually in Virginia right now with my family, and it's even snowing here. So... It's the South and it's snowing. I don't know what's going on, but stay safe. Absolutely. You can only imagine that the South is losing their cool right now. It's like, whoa, snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Up on yeah. toilet paper. Right. <laughs> the world. No, everyone is freaking out. Everyone is freaking out because I think in Virginia, they haven't seen snow in so long. And there were like eight inches, like two weeks ago for the first time in like, 10 years so wow. whoa crazy crazy that's so funny people in the south love to react to natural disasters you know they're booking it to that walmart as soon as the snow touches down they're like "Ooh, paper towels let's get Lock it in <laughs> well i'm in florida right now and it's a whopping like actually it was cold today it was like a cold front that came in and it's like 45 today Oh, no. Not too bad. Not too bad. (laughs) Definitely not snowing, but uh, a little chillier than they expected. So, you know, look out. (laughs) Um, In regard to local Indiana news, there is a one last indie standing commercial space that is being transformed into a neighborhood community center. Fire station number nine, established in 1897. Um, was threatened to be demolished. Um, Apparently there's been a pattern of destroying historical buildings in Indiana. So Sharon Clark of the Aspire House has a vision to keep it standing and um, reestablish historical buildings um, that have already been removed um, due to development and gentrification. So the Aspire House is working to um, keep historical houses and historical buildings up transform this fire station into a community center, which will offer commercial kitchens, community meeting spaces, and low-income apartments uh, via the Aspire House um, Donation Center. So that's a pretty cool um, little local tidbit that's going on in y'all's area. And if that, yeah, and if that calls out to anybody that um, is listening today, the Aspire House will be taking donations until this Tuesday. Um, so just, you know, Google for some more information, or if you feel like donating to your historical causes today, the Aspire House is a great organization to do so. That's wonderful. I feel like community centers are really important. I feel like that's something we've kind of like phased out of, you know, as far as like, you know, the, uh, 
because I think community center, I, I grew up in a city called Ypsilanti, Michigan, right? And in Ipsy, we had this like uh, community center, but it was like a, a, a senior community center, right? But it was, everybody would come in, there'd be different like, you know, local events and things hosted at this community center, but it was a resource center for many. And honestly, I thought it was such a helpful thing to be able to have in our community. And, you know, growing up, I, I went to different community centers as a, as a youth that was, you know, in and out of the system. I, I relied on those uh, community centers very much so to be able to provide that support and resourcing and, you know, just somewhere to go hang out and not have to worry about things for just a little bit, you know, and, and those, those centers are definitely useful in a metropolitan area like Indianapolis. That's exciting. Yeah, that's very cool. And yeah. that's great that you had a personal connection with those types of places. And I feel like I only really hear about them in big cities like New York or California, yes. Los kind of places like I didn't really know that there was a big calling for them um, outside of big, big cities, but of course there would be. It's just something I never had to think about. Yeah, yeah they're definitely useful. I mean, depending on what the like the level of need is too, like, you know, with this being about historical buildings, that's something that's huge too, because, you know, Indy has so much history. And actually one of my favorite bars downtown, it's called the Slippery Noodle. And the Slippery Noodle is a historical building. It's actually the last standing brothel that was, the last standing legal brothel before prostitution was illegal um, that was in the state of Indiana. So this building is old, authentic wood. There's a lot of history in it. And I, I thoroughly like going to it because you get to hear all the history and see all the different architecture in that building that is dated from way beyond our times. But finding buildings like that, like you said, you know, it's slim pickings because, you know, these historical buildings are being torn down or revamped or, you know, gentrification and things of that nature. So it's kind of cool to be able to see some of these buildings continuing to thrive and then not to mention into a community center at that. So that's exciting. Very cool. Very cool. Wow, the Slippery Noodle used to be a brothel. That's, that's Yeah, awesome. isn't that funny? That's, that's really interesting. Cool. I went in there one time and they, like, there's this, like, little thing on the, on the, on the bar, like the wooden bar, bar stand. And the guy's like, you all know where that's from? And it was just like a little dent, like nothing serious. Right? You, you want to know where that's from? And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, there's a guy that came in here and there's a story about these two individuals. He tells me this whole story about this guy stabbing a knife into the bar stand. And I'm like, oh, wow. He's like, yeah, we tell everyone that story who sits at that seat. And I'm like, well, that's just a little bit of history. That's kind of cool, but hey, I'll take it. A shot and a story. It sounds good to me. Very cool. I know that building went up and was like, we're going to have a good time in this building. No matter the history, no matter the phase of life, we're going to have a good time here. <laughs> like that. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Allie, did you have any other local Indiana news for us today? Yeah. So um, we've kind of been progressively talking about it more and more, just like updates weekly on this new bill, but um, unfortunately there is, there has been a bill that has been moved to Senate, um, just passed in the House. So what happened was, it was the education bill. Um, I believe we talked about it last week. So basically it's um, restricting education and giving parents and teachers more um, control over what their students, over what their you know, kids are learning. And it also, um, I found out today that schools can't provide with this bill ongoing services for mental, social, emotional, or psychological health issues without parental consent. So obviously, I think that there are going to be some problems that are going to arise from this. Um, and I don't know, I just, I don't fully agree with it. I know that 
a lot of people at my school are very upset about this, but, um, yeah, I just think that it gives kids less of a say. The whole point of this bill is for kids to kind of form their own opinions on it. But if they don't have the resources and access to all of this news in school, then where are they going to learn it, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that you touched on, too, is talking about like that psychological, the mental health and things like that within schools. Something that that involves is there's staff on sites on uh, different schools throughout the country too. There's staff on site that work with children either as like, you know, school-based, home-based casework. Um, and then there's people that develop uh, different programs that are called individual education plans or 504 plans. So IEPs or 504s. These are specific education plans that are uh, uh, developed for children by a multidisciplinary team, both on-site and off-site, usually including the parents, um, for determining what is going to be the best way to approach education for this child based on their individual need. Um, IEPs are often correlated to like a cognitive delay, an education um, you know, deficit uh, on behalf of the student, and they need that additional support of things of that nature. But that does include um, having to, you know, address these behavioral, because a 504 plan is for behavioral issues that are impacting a kid's success at school. When an IEP is related to, you know, different uh, education impairments or things of that nature, or mental, physical impairments that are impacting their success at school. So when these plans are developed, they're reviewed by this team, you know, every either quarter or every six months throughout the school year and kind of reevaluated to assess what that need is. But it involves you know, that consent of the parent and that consent of, you know, allowing these individuals to kind of, you know, in, in immerse themselves into the child's life to determine what the level of need is and things of that regard. So if, you know, as of right now, that parent involvement is needed. But with this bill, it sounds like, you know, that parent involvement wouldn't necessarily be as much needed. But it's kind of one of those things that you really have to consider what is in the best interest, because you have parents that are like, oh, I don't believe in mental health. Right. You know, my kid's just fine that level of ignorance that we all have to unwillingly accept exists, right? But then we have the other parents that are like, I want to be involved. I want the best thing for my kid. You know, I'm willing to consider what these professionals have to say. So it's like, you know, it could go one or two directions. Like, you know, if we have that non, that absent of parent involvement, you know, we could be missing a lot of kids and their success and giving them the tools for success to be successful in school. But then if we, you know, do have that parent involvement, we could see success as well because you have that input and that consent for these other people to work with their kid, because it's like going to the doctor, you know, you're having a psychologist, you're having somebody that is, you know, with at least a clinical degree to develop the IEP plan in and of itself. Um, you know, the, the, it, it takes a certain level of medical consent. So that's kind of a tough one. That is tough. That is tough. I, I think a major point is just making sure that the kid knows that the kid has power. So like knowing that a kid has the option to seek me mental health, psychiatric help without needing medication, I think is extremely empowering and useful tool of knowledge. Because I knew that in my personal experience, I was deterred from a lot of these therapies and counselings and things like that, because I didn't want to go on pills. I was like assured with myself that I was not going to take that route. Um, so with parents, you're right. It's almost like, which, which evil do you want to heal? Like the kid, or do you want to heal like the parents 
generational gap of distrusting science and mental health. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you don't know which to focus on. And I think you focus on the kid and making sure the kid feels empowered, has the help it needs. That's tricky with the kid, like the parents having to, to provide consent. Cause if they don't, then that kid's screwed, right? Essentially. Exactly. And if you think about it, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, and this is kind of a strong student, Mike, I've worked with, as a member of these multi- multidisciplinary teams of developing IEPs and 504s throughout like my career. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough because, you know, you know, in the state of Indiana, for example, something that I've noticed uh, since moving here that there's certain things that are different than in other states when it comes to consent with children and children having access to certain resources, et cetera. So in the state of Indiana, for example, you can't go as somebody, let's say you're in child protective services or you're, you know, that you have some sort of CPS abuse and neglect complaint. Um, you can't go to the school and speak to that child alone. That's not something that you can do legally in this state. You have to have a parent within the general percentage. You got to get that consent. So it kind of limits your ability to really have these, you know, needed conversations, whether it be around mental health, abuse, neglect, et cetera, um, Mm -hmm. that may perhaps have led to the complaint. Now, in other states, like in Michigan, you know, there's a law where you can uh, go and speak to these children at school without having to notify or tell the parent until after the interview. Right. You have to tell them afterwards, obviously, but you can do it prior to receiving that. You don't need that consent. So you can get a lot of this information and kind of gauge these children on what that level of need is without having that hovering parent. Because especially if there is things going on, that hovering parent's not going to allow that information to come out, you know, from fear, safety, et cetera. So like in these situations here, it's like, you know, sometimes the parent can be a pro or it could be a con. You know, mm-hmm. where's that that gap, that age gap, like you were saying, Madison, you know, like if we have this gap of parents here that are like anti-mental health or anti-ADHD or anti, you know, all these things like, oh, it's just, you know, immunizations. That's why my kid's autistic, you know, it's not a matter of just accepting that these things exist and then treating them accordingly, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be a barrier for these kids' successes because some of these kids, they need those IEPs. Okay, they need that additional support, you know, that if they have a learning disability or they have a cognitive impairment, they can't they can't function in a normal classroom without these needed supports without to be successful. Right. So if you have a parent that says, nah, I don't believe in that. But you're, you know, you're standardized testing saying no, A, B, C, D and E. Right. Mm -hmm. There's an issue here. And you don't get that consent, that kid's going to be without, and then you're going to have, you know, years of struggles in the academic department, which are going to lead to other things too. So I, I wish that there was a level of consent there. It's like, okay, yeah, we can inform them, right? But maybe at least preparing, like, this is what we believe to be in the best interest. This is the plan that will help, help the kid be successful. And then presenting it to the parent afterwards, rather than, you know, getting the consent before starting the process. Because I feel like if you can at least go through it and kind of have this plan and be like, this is what we have here, um, they would maybe be a little bit more lenient towards accepting it rather than being like, hey, we think your kid has a cognitive impairment. We want to develop this plan. And a lot of parents would be like, oh, my kid's not stupid. You know what we're talking about, but, you know, ignorance. My kid's not dumb. Like, no one's saying your kid's dumb, but you have that gap. Right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. My concern, my concern mostly with this bill is that 
say you don't have a perfect situation or like well-intending authority figures in your life, like may that be the teacher or the parents, you know, that abuse of power, I guess, is where I kind of fall out with this because why should they have control over what that student is in taking? And, you know, I just, I find like so many faults in that, but. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to be better for the kid, but nobody's actually considering the kid's opinion at all. Exactly. We spoke about the mental health professionals and the parents, but this topic is about the children and that's kind of where it should be oscillating around. It's not about you, right? It's about (laughs) what the kid needs. And that's where that, that gap lies. If we can change that lens and really get these parents and these caregivers, these guardians, et cetera, to really see the big picture, you know, there shouldn't be an issue here. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want a psychiatrist in my kid's school assessing my kid and prescribing medications to my kid without my consent. Totally different story, okay? We, and that's, that's something that home ba- that school-based caseworkers and people, they will, you know, educate kids on the resources. And hey, this is something, if you need this, this is where you could go right? And this is who you talk to. And these are the steps. But as far as, you know, you know, the psychiatric management within the school system, I don't think that's appropriate now. But the recommendations, we'll hear them, you know, and the parents and the guardians can handle that outside of house. But as far as what's in-house, you know, these kids need to know where their resources are at, because their voice does matter. Uh, we live in a society where kids kids' voices are silenced because you know the adult is always right, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to shift that lens because the adult may not have all the tools for, for success in their toolbox to meet modern day need. Okay. So if we can put the voice of the kid as being part of the plan, developing the plan, vocalizing what their needs are, being vulnerable and playing a part of that multidisciplinary team rather than people making decisions for them. Wow, beautifully yeah. said. Agreed. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I do have another Indiana bill that revolves around consent. So um, in a different aspect, I guess, but Indiana lawmakers are currently considering a bill that changes the definition of rape and consent. So um, obviously, this is extremely beneficial and way past due this conversation that is being had right now. But um, this bill is going to be called Bill 10. 79 and it essentially defines consent um you know if you don't get that verbal confirmation that you know you can't just assume consent so this is going to basically touch more on that the age of consent and yeah i'm just really happy that indiana is moving forward in some of these ways so i'm curious more about that i want to know more about that so the indiana law of consent because I know that every every state is weird about the age of consent. Right? Oh, right. So, oh, that's a topic. Yeah, uh-huh. that's a whole nother thing, right? That's a topic. You know, and those, uh, what do they call it? The something laws where it's uh, the, where essentially if you're 19 and it's two years back, like you can go back to 17 or 18 to 16. Um, but the legal age of consent as of right now is 16 um federally in indiana yeah it's 16 (laughs) as of right now but i know that like for example i lived in wisconsin here's a fun story but i'll keep this short and sweet Uh, i lived in wisconsin and let's just say that i got caught 
uh, at 14 years old having sex for the first time. Right? <laughs> and uh, uh, the parents of my boyfriend at the time and then my uh, mom and my stepdad felt like the need to contact law enforcement. Um, so law enforcement was contacted and essentially in the state of Wisconsin, uh, neither 14 year old can consent because um, their age of consent is also 16. So with that said, uh, if two minors can't consent, one of the parents or the other parties or whatever can press legal charges against the other family, vice versa, right? And luckily that didn't happen. We, we just all agreed. We sat down with the cop. Uh, they informed us about this information and we just never spoke again as a, as a conclusion. But the point is, is that like these different states have these different ways of handling consent and it gets sticky. You know, it gets sticky. Uh, you know, identifying age, that's one thing. But, you know, like, how do you confirm I'm consenting to this? You know, right. that verbal consent, because a lot of people say, oh, well, I thought A, B, C, D, and E, or, you know, they're giving me the body language or giving me this. We all know at the end of the day, yes is necessary, right? That's what consent is. But I'm curious yeah. as to how this bill is going to revamp what that means for the state of Indiana. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting because I was reading through these articles and it was even talking about like some sort of physical confirmation, but I don't think that you can really like, you know, because yeah, you can, I don't know, like there can be a moment where it, there's a blurred line, you know, but with that, yes, with that verbal, yes, there isn't a blurred line with that physical confirmation you know, there's a bias, you know, is it the person who like wants it? Are they getting that physical confirmation and they assume, you know, because it sounds like assuming. Yeah. So, yeah. so essentially I, I'm doing a little research now because I'm curious. So essentially at the age of 16, that's when you can establish consent. Um, but no one under the age can consent, even if they wanted to, like my 14 year old situation. Um, but here's the thing is like determining the consent. Um, there's no single statutory definition of consent in Indiana. However, the absence of consent is an element for certain Indiana crimes. So for example, um, uh, if a person does any of the following, they're committing sexual battery. So like, you know, touching someone by force or touching a person that's so mentally deficient that they can't consent to touching or touching a person where they're unaware that the touching is occurring. And, and what's a struggle is that it's a lot of he said, she said. Mm -hmm. And that has been a challenge, you know, for years across, across the country. I mean, like, I mean, across the world for Christ's sake, but like, you know, a, a matter of having like the actual facts in the court of law, because, you know, I, I will say from personal experience, I dealt with a rape situation when I was on campus and 18 in Michigan. And essentially it was like, okay, you go get the rape kit done, get all this stuff done. But even if the rape kit is done, you have this physical evidence that sexual activity occurred, you know, you're going to have this family and their lawyer against your family and your lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to pick apart the backgrounds of you and who you are and your credibility and ABCD&E. And if you know this person for a lick, if you've never met them, if you've ever hung out with them, if you're Facebook friends with them, they're going to try to correlate any of that towards being consensual. And in my situation, I was sleeping with this guy and I knew this guy from Ann Arbor. So like, I knew who this person was. 
So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, am I really going to win in this court case? Probably not. Hence why it never went to court. No. So it's like, you know, when the word goes against the word. And in this situation, you got a man coming from many and you got a girl that's been on her own for four years with a court-appointed attorney. What is the likelihood that that's going to work out in your favor? Slim to none. And that's the unfortunate case of it. So these the, these different laws and these things that we're talking about here are very important because, you know, there's so many women that have not reported and men of that nature, you know, that haven't reported these crimes or haven't reported these situations because, you know, in the public court of law, you know, it's very much he said, she said. And if you have any sort of background that's not favorable to you or something that you did, or maybe, you know, maybe you have a history of going out to parties, or maybe you like to, because you're 18 and you live on a college campus, right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever the case may be, it's just, they're going to pick that apart and it kind of- How dare they? How dare they use these narratives? It's so trash. It's so tragic. And that is, it is great that they're, they're finally having to put the complex issue of this into words in a bill. And now they realize how hard it is to kind of come up with these conclusions and like have to face these yeah. issues. But it's well worth it for people mm-hmm. like that to sit their ass in jail. I'm sorry. And I think too, like something to consider is on a positive side too, with these conversations being, you know, a hot topic right now, especially in Indiana, it's kind of like in a weird opposite way, empowering women. Because I know that over the years, especially since that circumstance, I am very vocal about what I want and what I don't want, what I like and what I don't like. Okay, so with that said, I'm very, uh, I've been kind of described as being um, a little bit strong headed wearing the pants in some sort of ways when it comes to my sexual, you know, life and my lifestyles of that regard, because I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. Right. And I've learned after doing something I didn't want to do without my consent, without anything that I need to use that voice within me that strong feminine energy that I possess and say, absolutely not, no, right? Or maybe not putting myself like, you know, uh, not putting myself with these situations and these people where, you know, no isn't respected. If I say, oh, you wanna hang out? And I say, no, not today. And you give me any sort of feedback, I'm already gonna take that as a precursor that this is probably not gonna work out when I tell you I don't wanna have sex. Right. Or if like, you know, if Mm -hmm. I have any sort of me laying my boundaries pre and being strong about what I want and what I don't want to do, and there's any fight back, I'm probably not going to go on that second date with you because I know that when Mm -hmm. the situation comes up and I say, I don't like this or I like this and this is what I want, that that's Mm going to be an issue. And we just have to normalize and maybe empower these women and these people that are, you know, are in these situations here, men and women, because men get raped too. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. use that voice you know we're looking at this we're saying consent's a big deal here in indiana we're revamping these laws we're taking that into consideration use that to your to your advantage yeah absolutely absolutely wow well said and i hope that we can empower women in the sense and also rewrite the narrative for men so they understand that shit's not the same as it's going to be or that you're used to and that what it was was not right and moving forward we need to be making correct steps to move forward. So I hope, cause you had mentioned that, oh, in, in the court of law, like they're gonna nitpick the woman's life. Well, let's nitpick the man's life. That's kind of like the path we're on right now. We're nitpicking the narrative that we've had to suffer through for so many generations. 
And like, I, I say like within my lifetime, like women will be safe. Like within my lifetime, women will be safe. And I hope that's true. And I hope that this, this bill is a, another step towards, towards that result. Cause absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We are not in the meet the Joneses era anymore, man. This is not a breadwinning husband, wife, white picket fence. Honey, we are evolving and women are speaking up about what they want and what they don't want. And even though you're not with it, you're going to have to get with it because <laughs> speaking up about these things that we have once had so hush hush and taboo oh don't talk about your sex life you know don't talk about conflicts in your relationship and now we have people on tiktok and we have you know artists that are creating these this, this type of music that's just so openly sexual and so openly sexually empowering yeah. that it's kind of giving right. women this voice so yeah yes yes Woo! <laughs> i'm gonna move on to one more indie law i guess there's been lots of laws going down where you guys are is it was it a bill passing season maybe a voting season that i that we just went through i guess (laughs) (laughs) okay well the indiana local government house bill 1041 has passed of which bans transgender girls playing girl sports from grades 12 and below let's chat about it i don't know yeah, so we actually talked, uh, we touched briefly on this, we touched briefly on this last week, um, but I think it wasn't like formulated as much as it is this week, um, just as time has passed. But yeah, I find that extremely disturbing because it's almost like with one bill, you're going in one direction, you're forward, you're, you know, you're adjusting to the times and then with this it's like a step back it's disappointing it's so silly that especially in indiana i feel like there's a high crime rate they still don't have medical marijuana but this this is the bill that they fast-tracked to not only be taken into consideration but to be passed it's like tell me you love trans tell me you hate transgender people by not telling me you hate transgender people like that's what this bill says to me Mm -hmm. I want to give like a different kind of lens and a little bit of perspective as somebody that's in you know child and family development and child welfare see I kind of I kind of can it's not that I'm leaning one way or the other but devil's advocate so you have you know this bill that's saying you know according to uh, Representative Michelle Davis, for example, when she spoke on the bill, she said that the bill is protecting girl athletes from what she sees as a threat. I'm sorry. Privileged, never stigmatized, have every opportunity in the world, female athletes. I mean, in comparison to men, I'm not gonna compare, but in comparison to transgender people and they are stigmatized in their families, in their social circles, and now they can't even participate. What do you expect these people to do comfortably? is where I'm at. I'm like, here's the question. Here's the question. Where do we in this, in the line of development, right? Like children developing their sense of identity. We go through these different stages of development. Freud has these different stages of development in the beginning stages. We go through these different levels where we develop a sense of identity, a sense of who we are. And oftentimes that's kind of hitting, you know, in that early adolescence, adolescence period. Um, you know, kids kind of understand, you know, you got the early, I can eat, this feels good, I enjoy this, etc. and figuring out what they enjoy and what feels good, but who they are kind of kind of comes throughout this, uh, this process. And I feel like, you know, the bill is kind of highlighting on the do kids truly believe, right, that they are transgender at this age? Do they, are they confidently 
transgender at this age because of where they're at in their development? Do they confidently know that this is what they want to be for the rest of their life? Or, which is, I know you guys have heard this, it's just a phase, right? But in the grand scheme of things, you know, when I was, when I was younger, I came out bisexual when I was in middle school. I just knew, right? I just knew. And it was just one of those gut instinctual things. And there was luckily no pushback. But when it comes to like, you know, hormones and changing and doing all this stuff, that's a huge thing to be able to kind of take on. So I feel like maybe there's that thought too, that's like, okay, are these kids ready for like, you know, this transition? And they're playing that, you know, unfortunately into something like this. I don't feel like that with sports and extracurriculars and things like that, that gender, you know, especially if they're going through this identity, not crisis, but trying to figure out who they are, you know, that if somebody comes out and says, this is what I'm feeling, I'm feeling, you know, I'm a female, but I'm a male, vice versa, you know, that we should support that and not think about, oh, the disadvantage, because the disadvantage is that these kids aren't able to develop a sense of identity without facing criticism. That's the true disadvantage here, not the points in the game. You know, but also remembering that, you know, this is a huge transition for a child and a huge decision for a child to make. So providing support maybe to ensure that this is what they want to do and providing those positive resources, like we were talking about earlier within the school, right? To, to kind of help them figure out if this is truly what they want or if maybe you know, if they're getting this confused with maybe the sexual identity. We don't know, you know, and they're kids. And there's a, a level of ignorance that comes with that. So providing support, but at the end of the day, the true loss is these kids aren't able to fully engage in normal kid activities because they're having these different things that are processing through themselves. And that's not fair. Exactly. It alienates them even more to have to find outlets that are even less understood by mass media. Like, you know, they, it drives them further basically down a rabbit hole when they walk out and they don't feel accepted. Yeah, and you think these kids are like, yeah, you know, I'm going to join the basketball team and I'm going to be transgender just so I have an advantage. Like, they're not thinking about that. That's what I'm saying. Like, what the fuck? Right, right. of that. Exactly. And that's why, that's where I fall out with this too, is because why are lawmakers so quick to discriminate instead of providing support? Why? Like, why is it that narrative, you know? It took them so long to put rapists in prison with a bill, and then they whipped up this bill against transgender kids in, like, 15 minutes. That's exactly. what's to me. Exactly. Or, here's idea, make transgender sports. Make transgender sports. With them telling transgender kids they can't participate in sports is me seeing that as they have half a vote. They have ha they're half a person. They're kind of a person, but they're half a person because they can't participate because they're not normal by, you know, regulation standards that now they don't matter. I think that's fucked up. Right, I, right. And I- Sports early so kids can get involved and we can build a community. This is a fresh new era. Like, let's do fresh new things. Period. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes, exactly. And there was something that you said, Madison, about them not being allowed to exist comfortably. If Like, they're already not allowed to exist comfortably. And why are you making it even, like, causing more discomfort, you know? Why do empowered people love to disempower already disempowered people? That's mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. It's not- And taking into consideration that Indiana, as we talked about before, is way be past its time. Like we are not in the medical marijuana realm yet. Like where are we at? You know, it's like catch up, catch right. up. These <laughs> things are happening. <laughs> you know, these are gonna be more normal things. 
You know, <laughs> like when gay marriage was a legalized thing, that was a huge ripple for society, but a huge gain in the grand scheme of things, right? Things are changing and people just need to get with the times and understand that there are things going on with, you know, identity and sexuality and things that we never really talked about as a society. It's not that it didn't exist. It's just now being spoken about more. And right. I feel like Indiana's like legislator is trying to make it act like as if this doesn't exist with laws like this. It's like, no, honey, you can't just, you know, continue to put the block on something that is an ever evolving thing within our country, nevertheless, our state, yeah. you know, open your ears up to maybe a new way of thinking, you know, it's not 1800s anymore, sweetheart. Anna, the thing to fear shouldn't be progression. It should be regression. And the mm -hmm. fact that they almost have the lens on like progressing is a thing to fear. Yeah, that's a stigma. That's got a, a narrative that needs to be cut out of the. Gotta book. go. It's gotta go. <laughs> um, okay, moving on to national. Did you have any national news, Allie? I've got one last international tidbit, but if you yeah. want. Um, so I actually, interestingly enough, I do have a story from Virginia. So um, this is also just more like in the political system but so andy parker he is this man from virginia he's a longtime advocate for gun control and i've been seeing a lot of gun control in the news recently too so this just happens to focus more on that but he plans to seek um the democratic nomination in the in virginia's fifth congressional district so he is um so he is running currently, and um, he, so his fight is against gun control. However, his campaign isn't solely focused on that. It is um, the prevention of um, abuse on social media and just revolving around social media and protection surrounding that. So what happened to him was his daughter was actually shot on live TV, and imagine just like everything that can come from that but seeing having footage having having this footage you know and so he fought so long and hard to get this footage erased to get it taken down and um so yeah so his his campaign is more focused more so focused on the abuse of social media and how like why did he have to struggle for that you know i hear you it's almost like you know, school shooters, that, that era of school shooting that we had gone through in this 2000s here, it almost seems like when you see a kid like that and you have an outcasted kid, they find the community. They're like, oh, I can be a part of it too. Mm -hmm. almost like they're on the wrong side of history here, but that's kind of like, it's, it's a similar kind of effect. Yeah. Like, what are you going to shut down SoundCloud rappers? Probably not, but we can, yeah. <laughs> we can kind of, you know, make it less cool in a sense to mm -hmm. to be like flash in this kind of high-grade artillery right uh, for clout i think like for clout exactly <laughs> like just to add on to that because that's the thing is that a lot of it's for luck okay mm -hmm. it's like oh look at me i'm so badass i got this cool ar-15 i'm so cool look at me flashing my gun on facebook and in you know on facebook live I'm sorry, honey, but I have a concealed pistols license and I've had that for years and nobody, rarely anybody knows what my gun looks like because it doesn't need to leave a holster. It's not about clout. When you exactly. have a weapon, you get that weapon for the sake of safety and protecting yourself and those around you and you take on that commitment. If you get 
get a weapon because of clout or because of gang banging or because other people have them and you want to be cool when that's mm -hmm. your foundation as to why you went forward with owning and purchasing a weapon you have the whole reason wrong you know, so it's like really educating our kids and educating our, our, our nation really about what it means to own a weapon, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of these kids in the media and their exposure to the element used to, I see it all the time. Hey, you know, look at this, you know, gang bang and fuck with me. And it's like, okay, sure. But do you, what's the real reason you have that, right? You shouldn't, if you really have it for the sake of what it's for, then they're, what you're doing is redundant. What you're doing right. is ignorant, you know? So it's like, educate these kids. A gun isn't about clout. A gun isn't about, you know- And it's very that in America, you know, me and my beer and my shotgun, like we would be right. shocked and appalled if we went back to the history that motivates modern day gun use. Uh -huh. yeah government i don't know if you guys get into conspiracies but the government having a say in like hip-hop rap culture yeah. like basically like using fringe communities to why would they do that i don't know make money or do some like that or just to change the narrative i don't know but we would be shocked and appalled to find out like why it came to this point i think and, you know, it's hard to ignore the fact that, you know, gangbang is going to be a thing, you know, and there are going to be people out here that have weapons that we don't want them to. But as far as social media and exposure to the element for the youth, you know, and these people, it's like a matter, not necessarily monitoring, but once again, going back to education here, making sure that everyone has the tools for success and is uh, understanding as to what it means to own a weapon. And as a result, we might not see an, an immediate result, right? Um, but we're gonna see a result down the road for generations to come. So it's like, we can take the win where we can. If we really provide these educational tools and make sure that these people are going through these classes like you have to do for a CPL, just to own a weapon, in my opinion, you shouldn't own a weapon unless you know all the ins and outs of what it means to have like a concealed pistols license. So they teach you how to hold it. They teach you how to shoot it, but they teach you about the legalities and the responsibilities behind it too. And you don't necessarily need that unless you're a concealed pistols owner um, and want to get that license concealed privately. You can open carry and just go buy a gun anywhere, right? So it's like, you know, as long as we can push this educational narrative, I feel like we would definitely see you know, a big shift, not right now, unfortunately, but with this next generation to come. Good stuff. Okay, well, I'll just throw out my last little international news. Um, a funeral was held in Vietnam for the Zen master and peace activist, Fit Nan Han, who passed at the age of 95. Um, I actually, I have a funny little like tidbit about him. Uh, he has a book called the, the Art of Life, and I checked it out from my public library. And in the beginning of the book, he's like, walk with this book. Like, you know, don't like speed read, like basically like take your time and walk through this book when you're tired, put it down, pick it up. Well, it took me eight months to read this book. <laughs> I'm not a fast reader, but it took me a very long time. So I, I owed the public library like $80 or something like that. I gave the book back this and that, um, but it, this was his book. So I kind of had like a, a little, um, a close heart connection to the situation. Um, and I, I didn't know that he passed. So they had his funeral last week. Um, so rest in peace to Fit Nan Han. Yeah, and if you ever get the opportunity to look him up, um, he has a well, crazy amount of historical influence and also a lot of interviews that he talks about, um, you know, peace. <laughs> so, you know, awesome.
Um, Rest I'm in hoping... peace in the most literal of the sense. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> fabulous. Okay, well, we want to thank everybody for coming out today. We had a really stimulating conversation today. It was really great. Thank you, Ali and Nevaeh, for coming out. Um, yes, thank you for having us. We're always here for it. Saturday, yes. Thank you, guys, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>